United we play. United we win. It's his world and we're all just paying the rent. All hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double digit case. We're busting ours to kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you. As always, high above an absolutely gorgeous turf field. Not turf, it's, it's grass. Not turf. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a really to, good start. Yeah, just lying. Uh, referring to it as turf because, you know, on your home turf, it's like a, you know. Sure, I mean... Brendan, if you if you had sticky stuff to hide, and you had to <laughs> smooth transition there, Paul. If you had to get it past the umpire TSA pre-check, where yeah. would you hide it? On your friend's glove. They're, they can also check the infielder's glove. Oh, gloves. can they? Yeah, they can. If that they, would actually be a smart idea. If you had like a little mound visit with your shortstop, and yeah. he's got after, the sticky stuff after on every his pitch, glove. and be like, "Hold on, I need the shortstop's <laughs> opinion on whether to, what pitch to throw here." Freddie, get over here! I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I mean, they've really cracked down on pretty much everywhere, every can, location, based on all of the games yesterday. <laughs> yeah. You cannot have it literally anywhere, or they will find it. Um, I've heard, you know, could you put it in your hair? Like, and then the uh, umpires ask have Matt to, Scherzer. It doesn't sound like you can put it in your hair. He doesn't, he, he's, you know, missing some hair at the bald spot. So, right. Uh, maybe, you know, but the, at some point, then the umpires have to take off your hat and run their hands through your hair. You Which know? is a little, it's a little weird. It's a little, it's a step too far. I think little, you could say. I think the general consensus from last night's games was that it went a little Everything's bit too far, a little, a considering too far. Sergio Romo. Just completely took his pants off. In yeah. The middle of the game. Yeah. Um, That's, it's not what you want. No. No. Um, I'm glad you've asked. I would definitely hide it in my ear, though. I would probably. In try, your ear? Yeah. I would try to do like a little. Not even like behind your take ear. A Q-tip. We're talking straight. Take a Q tip before the game. Well, now you've a got to. Oh, okay. Before the game. Yeah. I thought you meant you were going to take the Q tip. And then just pretend you. like you got ah, there's something in my ear after every pitch, you know? That's probably the... You don't think anybody would catch on? It better not be in your nose because that's just a bad visual for everybody. Right. You know, you sure. can't be out there picking your nose to try to get better spin on your fastball there. I'm trying to think of where else they haven't don't, looked yeah, for I think Yeah, I think, you like know... Maybe like in like the collar of your jersey, maybe? Oh, that's where a lot of people yeah. do keep it, though. Like on the neck, like the Michael right. Pineda thing, right? Right. It's going to be an interesting... <laughs> I think the point is that you really baseball. can't... You can't get away with it. Yeah, I think Max Scherzer said after that game yesterday he would have to be an idiot to uh, do it, to use it yesterday, right. knowing that it was going to be the first day of the crackdown. Exactly. Uh, I think that's how it's going to be for a while. We'll see if it has any kind of effect on actual baseball and statistics and how people are actually using this stuff, how people are hitting the baseball. Well, the spin rates are down are already. They? Yep. If you look at Garrett Cole's start yesterday... Mm-hmm. His spin rates are way down. Really? Like comically down. He's wow. st- he still pitched like... It's five rotations seven a inning. In, in, he, he still amazing. went like seven innings, two earned, six strikeouts or something like that. 
but he pitched way different Wouldn't than be, he normally does. Now, this is the ideal time. The Orioles are ahead of the curve here in calling up Mickey Janice because the exactly. knuckleball has no spin. So Mike Elias is playing chess. The rest <laughs> of the league is playing checkers. Chess. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, well, it's all 3D chess ball. He's playing 4D chess. 4D chess. What's the fourth D? 3D chess is just normal chess. <laughs> what's, right? the, what's the fourth D? Time? I don't know. Yeah. Up and down. Our producer, Bobby oh, Blanco, that's saying right. there are different levels. Isn't that a thing? Can't you have like the stacked you, yeah, I think you boards? Can. I've seen that before where I you like you play can. it on different levels. I don't know if that's like you're playing multiple games of chess at once. Well, that's what Michael Elias is doing. Yeah. I mean, that's what the Mickey Janice curve, uh, knuckleball video that we all saw in spring training. That's what Caracol's fastball looks like now. <laughs> it just doesn't move. It just doesn't move We're getting at all. four rotations a minute. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, um, let's talk uh, actual baseball. We got yeah. some stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, the MLB draft in a little bit. The draft is amazingly starts two weeks from Sunday. So amazingly, it is, horrifyingly, horrifyingly, however you want to put it, creeping up on us very quickly. Yeah. So we're going to give you just an overall primer as the weeks come along, as we get closer. We'll give you a little bit more in depth on these prospects, but we just want to introduce you to some names. But first, Brendan, a couple weeks ago, we were on this podcast talking about sophomore slumps. And in particular, Dean Kramer and Ryan Mountcastle and how in their second seasons, even though both of them are still technically rookies, they were experiencing some struggles through the first couple months of the season. But I'll tell you what, Dean Kramer, he's gotten some B's on some tests recently. Ryan Mountcastle, straight A's since we had that conversation, heading right into the end of the semester, you know, as they're ready to take their winter break. They You're really have, rolling with this metaphor. I'm here, continuing. Aren't you? They have upped their grades. They have uh, put in some solid effort. We're not talking about taking them out of school anymore. Like I'm going to be honest, Paul. I feel pretty vindicated because the last time we talked about Dean Kramer on this podcast, uh, I was arguing that I probably would not have optioned him down to AAA. Maybe I'm still wrong, and maybe that one start that he had at AAA Norfolk made all of the difference, and that's why he's come back in his last two starts and two been starts. pretty two, efficient. Two starts at AAA Norfolk. Oh, two starts at mm-hmm. AAA Norfolk. Yes. Maybe those made all the difference, and maybe I'm wrong anyway. But Dean Kramer has come back since his option down to Norfolk on May 26th and made two good starts. Yep. He goes five and a third and three earned runs against Cleveland. And then six innings, two earned runs against a very, very good Toronto Blue Jays lineup. I don't think that you can say you're vindicated because I could say... I still feel vindicated. As myself, I I could say I'm vindicated by saying when I did on that podcast that he should have gotten option down, that that it did help. And he wasn't down there for terribly long, but maybe it was just enough... You know, we could we're speculating here, but maybe it was it did boost his confidence, and he was able to regain. At least he appears to have regained some of the command that he was struggling with through the first couple right. months of the season. Um, he has he he you know again two starts. Are we overreacting to these two starts? Absolutely, maybe, maybe a little bit. However, it is good to see at least from uh, Dean Kramer that he has at least seemingly. Uh, turned somewhat of a corner. Uh, those last two starts since coming back from AAA Norfolk, uh, five and a third innings, three earned runs, it's just fine. And then six innings, two earned runs, as you mentioned, against that Blue Jays team. Um, and through the first nine starts of the season, prior to getting option down, opponents were hitting 301 against him. Last two starts, they're hitting 184. And you could make a case that his most recent start, that Blue Jays start, was his second best start of the season 
other than his start at Seattle back on May 3rd. So at least good to see. Consistency now is going to be the, the key for Dean Kramer if he wants to stay. But for the meantime, you can't take him out of the rotation given what you saw from him the last couple starts. Right, and I, you could even make the case that his start against the Blue Jays was his best start of the season when you're comparing six, six innings, two earned against a very good yeah. Toronto Blue Jays lineup versus six innings, one earned against Seattle that has been horrible offensively all year. I would argue that six innings, two earned against Toronto is even more impressive. And the good thing about it too was that he had two home runs allowed in the first inning of that start. Not that that's a good thing, but the five innings after, he yeah. really settled down. He seemed to find his groove on the mound and he was able to get guys out. Yeah, I mean, that that was a key. I remember when we started to see John Means uh, turn it around last year, it was when he didn't let a tough first couple innings derail him and really take him out of his start. It was the way that he was able to settle in after that. And for young pitchers like Dean Kramer, that's what you're looking to see. You know, even on a day when he's not absolutely dominant, the fact that he can endure a tough inning or two and be able to settle down and figure stuff out. And because oftentimes, you know, everybody knows that the third or fourth time through a lineup, that's when you're going to get hit the hardest. Right. So for you to be able to outthink the opponent and and realize, all right, I got hit around in the first time through the lineup, but the third time I know how to get these guys out, I think that's a good sign. And it's pretty easy to overreact to Dean Kramer starts, it yeah. seems like. Because the stuff is so good it is. that when the command is even most of the way there, it's really exciting to see Dean Kramer pitch well. And I think that's probably what got us into trouble here on the podcast when we were talking about Dean Kramer coming into the season is that his stuff is so good that if the command is even most of the way there, he has the potential to be really good. Right. And when you try to dissect what has made him successful over the past couple starts and, and what has made him successful in the times that he has been successful in 2021. Um, it goes back to what made him successful in 2020. His curveball, I think is one of the best curveballs that I've seen from a young pitcher, especially at least on this Orioles team. As of late, that thing has insane drop. And according to Statcast, it has almost, uh, you know, it ranks 5% better than the, I don't know, I'm butchering this stat, but it ranks better than most. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's a good curveball is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It, it has a ton of vertical break. So this thing he used very effectively in 2020, and he hasn't used it as much in 2021 because guys are starting to hit it. And maybe that's the adjustment of the league towards him, realizing, you know, knowing what that curveball looks like and being able to hit it. Last year, opponents were hitting 200 against that curveball, according to StatCast. This year, they're hitting 281. So they figured it out a little bit. And as such, he's throwing it less. He threw it 27% of the time last year. He's throwing it 17% of the time this year. So if he wants to get back to dominance that we saw from him in 2020, in those first couple starts especially, it's getting that curveball to get swing and misses. And it has to be located correctly. It's probably a very difficult pitch to throw considering the the inches of break on that, but getting that thing down so it's not hanging in the middle of the zone, I think, is key for him because that pitch can be utterly devastating when he throws it right. Yeah, it's command in its location. When you are throwing a curveball and hanging it over the heart yeah. of the plate, it's going to get hit. It sounds simple enough, but when Dean Kramer is locating, he pitches well. 
And it seems the one problem with Dean Kramer that we'll talk about with the last two starts is that he's been very streaky so far. Yeah. He had a really tough start of the season. Yes, five of his first nine opponents were the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays. So that obviously has a little bit to do with it. He had a good brief stretch in early May. He goes six innings, one earned against Seattle, five innings, three earned against Boston, and then five innings, two earned against the Yankees, which is kind of similar to the stretch that we're seeing from him now in his last two starts. But then later in May, he goes three innings, four earned, and gives up, I think, 10 or 11 hits against the Rays, and then four innings, five earned against Minnesota, which is the start that eventually gets him optioned to AAA. So as we continue throughout the season... It's going to be a question of, okay, is he going to be a streaky good pitcher or is he just going to be a good pitcher consistently? Yeah. And and at this point, if you show flashes, that's good enough to keep you in right. the Orioles rotation. In, in Given year two, we, you don't need to be yeah. consistently excellent. And, and also, considering the other guys in this rotation, there aren't too many guys who are consistently good. John right. Means is consistently good, but obviously he's on the injured list. Matt Harvey has been having his fair share of struggles but Jorge Lopez, somebody who has been streaky, but at times has been good enough, you can't take him out of the rotation considering the other guys that are in that spot. Right. So Bruce Zimmerman's been pretty good, but he's on the injured he's list. He's also as well. on the injured list. So yeah, so it is it it's not terribly difficult to hold down a spot in this rotation now. Maybe come back in September when maybe a Mike Bauman or a Zach Lowther or an Alexander Wells or Kyle Bradish has uh, cemented themselves in the rotation, but for right now, you know, there's nothing that Dean Kramer uh, has done that has taken him out of the rotation conversation, and and I'm sure that the Orioles do not want to send him back down to AAA, especially now that they've given him two starts here at the major league level since he's come back. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I think we are going to see Zach Lowther, Mike Bauman. Yeah. At some point, maybe looks like Kevin Smith. He is moving up very quickly. But right now, there's just nobody banging on the door. The other sophomore that we're not going to talk about too much, Keegan Aiken, has not been very good in his last two starts, has given up five earned and eight earned, respectively. I think there's a chance that he gets optioned down at AAA Norfolk as well. Yeah, and again, he started the season at AAA Norfolk after having a, a rough spring training. Took about a month for him to come back and start making starts in that rotation, and he actually took Dean Kramer's start. Or right. spot in that rotation, rather. So there's there's going to be some shuffling uh, over the the coming weeks. I think the the other tough part is Brandon Hyde is having to figure this out on the fly in the midst of a 20 games in 20 days stretch, <sighs> while they do not have an off day from June 10th until July 1st, which is utterly ridiculous. So he is he's in kind of a tough spot having to fill out literally every fifth day in that that uh, rotation, while also having Bruce Zimmerman and John Means on the injured list. Right. So we could see a lot of shuffling before we get to the All-Star break. A lot of shuffling, and that shuffling can continue as we get to the trade deadline. I'm not sure if there's any starting pitchers at this point that the Orioles might deal, but if they deal any relievers, that might shake up the starting rotation a little bit in terms of guys that have been eating up innings Yeah, that might not be there to eat up innings anymore. I, I mean, maybe if they deal some relievers, obviously... You know, we'll get into this when as we get closer to the trade deadline. But, you know, if Paul Fry goes, if maybe Adam Plutko is a trade piece. Right. Maybe you see Keegan Aiken, instead of getting optioned, just move to the bullpen. Something right. like that. So we'll see what, what happens there. Uh, another sophomore slump that we were talking about a few weeks ago who has entirely turned it around. And I think it's fair to say had a, a better month than almost anybody in baseball 
for the past, when I say month, I mean past 30 days because it almost has been exactly a month since he started his turnaround. We were doing this podcast, you know, four weeks ago through the third week of May and he was struggling and we were talking about should he get sent down a la Dean Kramer? Does he deserve to be sent down to Norfolk? And we decided, no, we don't think it's, that would really do him any good because he's already dominated at the AAA level. He's already won international player, international league uh, MVP. There's nothing else he can show at the AAA level. So we just need to see him do it at the, the major league level. And boy, has he done it at yeah. the major league level through the last month, Brendan. Yeah, was the American League Player of the Week a few weeks ago. Uh, he is hitting 350 with seven home runs in June, over 350 at this point. Uh, he's brought his average up from, it was 226 at the end of May. It was 198 at the end of April, and that average is up all the way to 265. He has yeah. been absolutely scorching in June. He's hitting for average well. He's hitting for extra base hits now. He had a home run in three straight games in early June. He had that three-homer game against the Blue Jays the other day. Which is awesome, by the way. A yeah. three-homer game from a rookie. Uh, you know, Nick Markakis, I think, was the last Orioles Nick rookie. Nick Markakis in 2006 was yeah. the last Orioles rookie to have three home runs in a game. It is incredibly impressive. Yes. Uh, he is... There are still some concerns with Ryan yeah. Mountcastle at the plate. He is still chasing. I always joke that Ryan Mountcastle has never seen a high fastball that he didn't want to hit over the fence. His chase rate is still way up, and he is yeah. not walking. So those are certainly still concerns. But hitting over 350 with seven home runs in the month of June is not a concern. Yeah, and when you stretch that to the last week of May, 330, 358, 692 slash line. Whew. Uh, nine homers over the last 24 games as compared to the first 42 games of the season where he had three homers. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to see him make solid contact is a whole lot better. We'll get to the the concerns, definitely, but seeing him drive the ball out of the ballpark, seeing that power return and solid contact, I think is a, is a major uh, improvement. And I think when looking at why it is happening through the first couple months of the season, guys were not throwing him fastballs probably because they saw how much he crushed fastballs in 2020. And I don't know why, and I'm not complaining, but they are throwing him more fastballs. Yeah. And he's hitting 301 against fastballs uh, so far this season. Uh, he is an okay breaking ball hitter. And over the past month, he's hitting 346 against breaking balls as compared to 417 in the month of June against uh, fastballs, which is utterly ridiculous. But, um, you know, the more fastballs this guy gets, the more damage he is going to do with them. Yeah, I don't know why he is getting thrown more fastballs. It doesn't really make sense. Nope. It seems like... Probably, honestly, probably worse pitching. Considering the first couple months of the be. season, he went up against some some pretty tough pitching in the, you know, you got Yankees, Red Sox, those kind of teams. Right. It seemed like his kryptonite early on was like the low and away slider. He could not hit that pitch, yeah. a low and away breaking ball. And now all of a sudden they're just not really throwing it to him, but no complaints. Yeah. Uh, the, He's hitting it. You, you mentioned that chase rate, Brendan. 42% chase rate Whew. is not good. No, it's uh, not. That is still a cause for concern. Yeah. And the fact that we are in the third week of June and he is single digit walks. He has eight walks on the season. That's also not good. Yeah, it seems like Ryan Mountcastle could use uh, a little bit of the Buck Britton approach that we were uh, that we heard about while we were down in Bowie, where it's Buck true. Britton was saying, even if the ball is a strike, if it's not something that you can drive 
and not a pitch that you like, don't swing at it. Yeah. Ryan Mountcastle is taking the exact opposite approach of if it's a ball that you can't drive and it's not a strike, <laughs> swing at it anyway. Yeah. So he could use a lot more plate discipline. But again, it's not really, it's not having a massive impact, it seems, on his batting average, at least for no. the last month. His batting average would probably be higher if he wasn't chasing it over 40% of pitches outside of the strike zone. But yeah, I think that I think that kind of aggressiveness could lead to some highs and some lows. Right. Some, you know, we've some swells that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. We could see him be a little bit streaky, I think, through the first couple of years of his career for that reason. Um, and in that way, he is more of a pure ha- power hitter, even though he hit over 300. I think he hit 312 with Norfolk in 2019, and he hit 333 last year. And he's a good hitter, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But he he is in the mold of a power hitter, I think, more than just a contact hitter. Yes, you want him to be aggressive, but it's kind of teetering the line of yes. being detrimental at this point. But give credit where credit is due. He's raised his average, as you mentioned. Oh, he's now yep. within three batting average points of Trey Mancini, which is mind-boggling considering where he was a month ago. Yeah. Um, it's just getting that chase rate down. And for reference, I mentioned that 42% chase rate. DJ Stewart, who is the king of plate discipline, uh, he's has a chase rate of 22%. So almost half of Ryan Mountcastle. So if we yeah. could just mold, take DJ Stewart's plate discipline, take Ryan Mountcastle's pure hitting ability, and just make it into DJ Mountcastle, Perfect. I think I think that that would be a and you superior still outfielder. Be able to play them in the corner outfield. <laughs> you couldn't on play defense. them in the corner outfield. No, but, absolutely not. But but at least they would be a good hitter. A very formidable hitter. Yeah, we actually did get a question uh, on Facebook, a comment asking about Mac- Mountcastle's defensive position. Uh, Noah asks, first base or left field? Why not third? Uh, the third base experiment kind of uh, did not work out terribly well in the minor leagues. The Orioles did yeah, try I think that him experiment is over. for a brief period of time. He does have the build of a third baseman. It just really wasn't working out for him there defensively. I think Mountcastle is pretty solidly at this point in the first base DH rotation, but it's working. I mean, between him and Trey Mancini, you need them both in the lineup in the number three, number four hitters in this Orioles lineup because they're really the only ones hitting for power and average outside of Cedric Mullins. And even though Mountcastle is not great in the outfield at this point, I think you will live with him being on that first base DH rotation with Trey Mancini as long as he's hitting the way that he is. Yeah, I mean, we saw him to start the season. He had a spot pretty much locked up in the outfield, and they gave him his fair shake in left field. But he's only played in left field four times in the month of June. So yeah. they Brandon Hyde has clearly taken that off his plate somewhat, and part of it is due to the fact that he has a healthy DJ Stewart. He has a healthy, although somewhat playing through injury, uh, Anthony Santander and same category Austin Hayes. So there's left. There are fewer, you know, opportunities that he can find Ryan Mountcastle in the outfield. I don't think that they've given up on Ryan Mountcastle being an outfielder long term and being able to be maybe a slightly below average outfielder. And we've seen guys over the course of their career start out as a poor outfielder and be able to turn it around. I think of like Kyle Schwarber as somebody who gets knocked for his defense the first several years of his career and then just works on it routinely once right. he becomes an everyday big leaguer and turns into a fine outfielder. So maybe there is a, a, a chance for redemption here, and I, I certainly don't think they want to take him out of that rotation entirely. He'll probably play you know five games in the outfield when he gets the, the chance, but I think that 
overall long-term, his best defensive position is probably going to be first base. Probably. And who knows? Maybe the fact that Brandon Hyde isn't putting the pressure on him to play a defensive outfield position is helping him at the plate. It's one less thing to worry about during a game of having to go into a defensive position that you have not been very good at. So maybe the fact that he's just at first base or DH is, I don't know, maybe it's obviously just speculation, but it could be helping him at the plate if he doesn't have the pressure of yeah. having to go out into a corner outfield and not perform very well. Yeah, but he still is is not above average, obviously, as mentioned in those spots. And to give it some context, he had negative .4 defensive war in 2020. He's got negative .9 defensive war in, in 2021. Yeah. So that is, it is still drawing, you know, bringing down his value slightly. But look, the guy is 24 years old. Um, he has plenty of room to grow. He has plenty of time to grow. I don't think that they're overly concerned when he is hitting the way that he has been. Um, so good stuff from Dean Kramer and uh, Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah. Through the first, uh, through the past month or so. Yeah. Obviously still things to point out, but the fact that both of these guys are essentially just first year players because of how short last year's season was, they're performing really, really well. And the yeah. improvement is obviously great to see because baseball, as we know, game of adjustments if you are a rookie that is struggling for your first half of the season, how do you bounce back from that? And Ryan Mountcastle and Dean Kramer have both responded very well. Yeah, exactly. So when people look for young players to point to on this team, those two, I think, increasingly will be a shining example of the kind of talent that they have going forward. Yes. And we're going to start to see some, some debuts. And perfect transition. Or is it going to add some young talent to their System over the next few weeks as they get into the 20-round draft that is coming uh, at in two weeks from Sunday, as mentioned. Yep. Uh, right as the end of the first, se- uh, first half of the season ends, we get the draft. I'm going to be able to say that correctly at some point. You got it. Uh, last year, we saw the draft was five rounds. The Orioles added six players from that draft, and then they went out and, and had some. There was, a, 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 if you recall, a big surge of um, undrafted free agents that were signed, and the Orioles actually landed J.D. Mundy, who's been very good in the minor leagues. Um, this year, there will be more talent. So the Orioles will have an opportunity to really bolster their system um, with a draft that is about half the length of the average MLB draft. And this draft is very interesting uh, because in years past, there have been clear number one overall picks. Yeah. You can make a case that Jack Leiter is the best prospect in the draft. There are a lot who really like the prep high school shortstops. There are a lot of people who like Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, who many think uh, is the best hitter in college baseball. Last year, there was Spencer Torkelson. The year before, there was Adley Rutschman. There is not a clear-cut number one overall pick, and nobody really knows which direction the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to go with that first overall pick. The top five really seems like it could go in any direction. Yeah, we've seen mock drafts that have been wildly differential. Yes. <laughs> we've seen some mock drafts that have lighter going number one. We've seen some mock drafts that have lighter going number six. So it, it, it could shake out in, in any way. Let's break down some candidates for this number five overall pick, which the Orioles hold. Um, and let's, I think, you know, let's just start with the basic breakdown. Pitchers and position players. And when you look at pitchers, Brendan, for this draft class of guys who are legitimately candidates for this number five overall pick, 
it obviously has to start with the two Vanderbilt guys, Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker. Yeah, a lot of people will say that there there are two pitchers at the top of this draft. I think there's three, personally. You've got Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, who are obviously the two. I, I think they're both top five prospects in this draft. They have been dominant throughout their college careers and are pretty quickly going to be really important pieces in somebody's rotation going forward. Jackson Job is probably the best high school pitcher, and he is getting a ton of buzz recently just because he has all of the intangibles. He has the really, really raw stuff. And some people are saying that if Jackson Job is able to develop in the way that teams are going to hope he develops, he's still just 18 years old, that he could develop into a pitcher that is even better than lighter and rocker. But obviously, that's a big if that you're taking there because Leiter and Rocker are older. They are more proven in college. And Jackson Job is an 18-year-old that you are hoping projects to be as good as those two guys. But I think when you're talking about the top pitchers, there's really three instead of just the two Vanderbilt guys. But if you haven't seen anything from those two Vanderbilt guys, I would suggest you go and watch something from yes. those two Vanderbilt guys because they have been excellent throughout their careers. Jack Leiter, of course, is the son of Al Leiter, who's a former major leaguer. Um, and Kumar Rocker has, has been dominant throughout his career um, at Vanderbilt. Two righties. Um, they are now with the College World Series, you know, kind of on its way. They have been on national television a whole lot. Uh, Jack Leiter threw, I think, 122 pitches the other day. Uh, these Tim guys, Corbin wants his championship. He does. He wants another championship. So they... You know, have I think Lighter's ERA right now is like 208. Rockers is like 258. These guys have been absolutely dominant. The question I think comes, and maybe this is where Jackson Job comes into the the equation here. But how much are these guys going to cost? We saw last year that the Orioles went with somebody who was below slot value in Heston Kerstad with that number two overall pick in order to hold on to some money that they could use later on in the draft and allow them to sign some top high school talents like a Carter Baumler, um, who's the third baseman? Kobe Mayo. Kobe Mayo. So these guys that they saved their money for uh, because they went a little bit below slot with number two. From everything that we've read, we're hearing that this is Michael Elias's MO and he's probably going to try to do it again at number five. Do you think that just from our outside perspective that Lighter and Rocker might be too expensive if they fall to number five. Lighter, almost definitely. <laughs> from everything I have heard from Jack Lighter is that he is going to expect number one overall money because Jack Lighter, by most people's accounts, is the best prospect in this draft. You can make a case, like I said, for the high school shortstops, but Jack Lighter is going to demand a lot of money. Kumar Rocker is a bit of an interesting case he was pretty much the unanimous top prospect coming into this season. He was even ahead of Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter was maybe two or three. Kumar Rocker was pretty much dead set at number one. Kumar Rocker, as the season went along, he struggled a bit in the SEC tournament. He's been struggling a little bit in the College World Series bracket. So is Kumar Rocker going to demand a price of, okay, before the season, I was most definitely a number one or number two overall pick? Or is he going to recognize that maybe his value has dipped off a little bit with those command issues? Maybe he is somewhere in closer to the five to seven range in terms of what you would have to pay him. Right. I, if I had to guess, I would say that he probably still values himself as a top three pick and will probably demand that kind of money. 
But who knows? I think a lot of people are looking at him as a prospect and saying, well, the command issues are there. Maybe he's closer to five, six, seven. Yeah. And of course, these guys would have to make it to number five. They'd have to get through the Pirates, the Rangers, the Tigers, and the Red Sox to be able for these conversations to be had. But they are, from everything we've seen, it is a possibility that at least one of these guys falls to the Orioles at number five. I think so. I would be shocked if Jack Leiter falls past the Boston Red Sox. Okay. I would not be very surprised if Kumar Rocker falls to the Orioles. But then again, I would also not be surprised if yeah. he falls past the Orioles because there are some issues that have come up with Rocker when you look at him as a prospect. Yeah, so a couple other names I do want to throw out real quick just because last year we spent a lot of time talking about Austin Martin and Spencer Torkelson and Asa Lacey and um, Emerson Hancock, and we didn't even mention Heston Kerstad. Yeah. So let's cover our bases here. Yes. <laughs> a couple other pitchers, uh, Sam Bachman, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, from uh, Miami of Ohio, and Ty Madden, uh, a, tech, a pitcher from Texas. Both of them college arms uh, that could be in consideration for the number five pick. Yeah, and Ty Madden has a lot to gain from the fact that Texas is still in the College World Series at this point. So Texas could be able to move up, and we've seen what the College World Series can do for guys, even like Adley Rutschman, who was yeah. probably going to be the number one overall pick anyway, but that College World Series performance certainly helped him. Aside from those pitchers, I think there's a few more tiers of guys. I've mentioned the high school prep shortstops. The two big names are Marcelo Mayer and Jordan Lawler. I think those are, if you don't think Jack Leiter is the best prospect in the draft, then you probably think it's either Mayer or Lawler. Or if you're dead set on taking a position player as right. opposed to a pitcher. Those are the two top prep shortstops behind them. I think there's another tier where you find Brady House and Khalil Watson, two more shortstops. And then after them, you've got the two catchers who are in a different tier. I think there's Henry Davis, who is the uh, Louisville catcher, who has been fantastic at the plate. Like I said, many people think he's the best hitting player in this draft. Harry Ford, the high school catcher who is crazy athletic, definitely could stick at catcher if he wanted to defensively, can also play second base and the outfield. So yeah. I think those are kind of the tiers of guys that you're looking at. And I know I'm already hearing it, even though I'm, I'm not literally hearing it, I'm figuratively hearing it, Brendan, the, the complaints of Orioles fans, could the Orioles really take a catcher, another catcher, with the number five overall oh, pick? Oh, they really could. They really could. They really could. Uh, and here's why. Um, because Adley Rutschman is, they're not, though he has gotten some reps at first base with Bowie at the AA level, they're not looking to add, move Adley Rutschman to first base anytime soon. So don't worry about that. Adley Rutschman is going to be the catcher and they expect him to be the catcher, I think, for the next 10 years at least. So don't worry about that. But these other guys, um, especially um, the the uh, guy from Louisville, Henry Davis, yep. could, because he can play other positions, and because that bat is too good to maybe too good to pass up on, if you're the Orioles, they might take him. And maybe he's announced as a catcher, but they don't have plans to keep him at catcher. Or maybe he comes into the Orioles system after being drafted, and they try him out at catcher, they try him out in the outfield. It wasn't too long ago, it was a while ago now, Bryce Harper was drafted as a catcher and didn't stick at catcher. So these are all projections. So, so don't get concerned. Don't feel like the Orioles are giving up on Adley Rutschman or going to trade Adley Rutschman just because they draft a catcher with the number five pick. Henry Davis has a chance to go first overall. Yeah. A lot of people are saying that the Pittsburgh Pirates really like Henry Davis 
and they could take him. Obviously, we've only seen two Michael Elias drafts so far, so it's hard to say, well, Michael Elias prefers this in his draft versus this. His last two top picks in Adley Rutschman and Heston Kerstad have been proven college bats. So does Michael Elias go for a proven college bat in Henry Davis? If you were looking at a proven college bat, Henry Davis is the best of the bunch, and it's not particularly close. But then you look at, you know, not the two guys that he's taken at the top of the draft, but who he really targets in the second and third rounds and in that uh, competitive balance rounds. And it's a lot of middle infielders. Shortstops. It's a lot of Jordan Westbergs and Gunnar Hendersons and Anthony Servideo and Joey Ortiz, a couple fourth-round picks. So maybe he is tempted by one of these high school shortstops that you mentioned. Maybe he decides to wait on one of these high school shortstops. The other picks that they have, they don't have a pick in the competitive balance round A, which I believe they did last year, which allowed them to take... Hudson, Haskin, and Jordan Westberg, I think in, in flipped order. I think it went Westberg first, yeah, then Westberg Hudson. Westberg was the competitive balance round A Yes. Um, so this year they don't have that, um, but they do have the number 41 overall pick, which comes in the second round, and then they have number 65 overall, which comes in the competitive balance round B. So that's a little confusing, but they have three picks in the top 65. That's what you need to know. Yeah, and the positions that the Orioles could be targeting, I think has a chance to be very confusing for fans because they're two shortstops that are very, very good. There yeah. are a few shortstops after them that are also very good. And then there's also the two catchers that I mentioned. Yeah. And when you're looking at the Orioles system, you've got Abby Rutschman, a catcher. And then at shortstop, you've got Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. But the thing to keep in mind, especially with the shortstop position, you can draft pretty much as many shortstops as you want. And it's really not going to make that much of a difference in terms of a logjam once you get closer to the majors. Yeah. When you are drafting a shortstop, you are hoping that he is athletic enough and good enough of a fielder to stick at shortstop. Or it's just that he doesn't grow and continue to get bigger to the point where he grows out of shortstop. That's what a lot of people are thinking with Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. I mean, the kid's already 6'3", I think, (laughs) Gunnar Henderson. And a lot of people are assuming that when he fills out, he might be better suited playing third base than shortstop. And yeah, and also consider the fact that a lot of these guys are playing shortstop right now because they are head and shoulders above the other yes. guys there. <laughs> so, you know, they may not be like similar to Ryan Mountcastle. He was a shortstop in high school because who are you going to find who plays shortstop better than Ryan Mountcastle? Like yeah. in in a high school. Class. Like Paul Fry was probably shortstop in high school because yeah. he was probably far and away the best in high school. But yeah, he could play yeah. shortstop at above at above average level. Right. right. Because you are just at that point, you are yeah. probably far and away the best player on your team. Exactly. And you're going to get put at the most important position. Exactly. A couple other names that we should mention real quickly because we mentioned uh, proven college bats and we saw the Oros take a proven college bat in the outfield last year, Sal Frelick, I think that's how you say his name, from Boston College, and Colton Kowser, Sam Houston State. That's your dude. I think Colton Kowser, if you look at a, a good comparison for Heston Kerstad, if, you're, if we're trying to you know parse out what Michael Elias likes, Colton Kowser seems to fit that, uh, that bill. Power hitting, uh, hit, hitting three in the 370s, I believe, with Sam Houston State. Yeah. Um, I could see it happening. Left-handed hitter. I could see a, another Heston Kerstad-esque pick coming in Colton Kowser. Yeah. We'll dive into the draft more as the weeks come. Right now, if I had to put my money on somebody that the Orioles pick at this point, I would say Khalil Watson. 
prep high okay. school shortstop. He's your guy. He's not one of the top two shortstops, and I think the Orioles could probably get him for a little bit less money than they would at the number five overall pick. Right now, I think it's either Cleo Watson or Henry Davis. A couple other names also. We just got to, I just got to hit all bases. <laughs> We're throwing a lot of them out there. UCLA shortstop Matt McLean. Yep. And uh, high school uh, outfielder Benny Montgomery. Everybody's in play. <laughs> we just everybody's in play. I think we bit. just lift, listed off what the top fifteen prospects in yeah. the draft, just to cover our bases. And we will have a draft night show as always uh, on Mass and All Access. So our lives are going to be hell for the next few weeks as yeah. we try to learn as much as humanly possible about the top twenty or so candidates, just in case. Don't want to be caught off guard. I'll right. tell you. Well, and that, that's the weird thing with the MLB draft. You yeah. can take the 11th best prospect at the fifth overall pick so that you can take the 20th best prospect 40th overall because yeah. somebody didn't want to pay the 20th overall prospect that high. And and I uh, saw a comment on Facebook from Noah. Does Elias prefer college bats? You did mention all the college bats that are in this that might tempt Mike Elias, but also consider he took um, Carlos Correa with the number one overall pick, or he, he wasn't the GM, so he didn't take him, but he pushed to take Carlos Correa, a high school shortstop, uh, back when he was with the Astros. Right. So he can, you know, it's he's not dead set on any one position. So that is partly why we think he could go in any direction. Yes, here. but he does seemingly like college Over, bats. Overall, yeah, the trends. Adley Rutschman, Jordan Westberg, Hudson Haskin, Heston Kerstad. Yeah. It seems like in a few of those earlier rounds... Michael Elias tends to go with the college bats, but that doesn't necessarily indicate what he's going to do at five. There are, exactly. as it's been made pretty clear by the fact that we read off about 15 prospects, a ton of possibilities for this fifth pick. All right, July 11th, that's when the first round of the MLB draft is. We will have a draft show that night. We will keep you up to date over the coming weeks with what we think is going to happen and what we learn about these prospects at Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I'm at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for running the show today. Like, review, rate, subscribe, share with your friends. Give us five stars. Please. Share it. Give us, you know, just uh, spread it. Spread the news. <laughs> I'm just going to let you keep rolling All these right. off. Yeah, you got that's, it. that's just about it uh, for <laughs> our podcast. We will be back in a week from the warehouse as well. I'm Paul. He's Brendan. Thanks so much for tuning in.